0: You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Question I want to put before you this morning as we begin our time is this. What is Jesus' heart toward his people? And even more personally, what is Jesus' heart toward you? for some, one of the hardest things to believe is what the gospel says about God's disposition toward sinful men and women like you and me. And maybe that's because we we know well our own darkness. We know how short of perfection we fall. Maybe that's because other authority figures in our lives, whether that's parents or bosses or governments, Have all been these more mechanical, transactional kinds of interactions that are based on performance? Or maybe that's because it's just so uncomfortable, or maybe even unimaginable, that someone could know the whole story, that someone could know the whole you and not merely love you, but be so warm toward you, so desiring to be with you and have you be near to him, that it's just easier for us to focus on the more impersonal aspects of the Christian faith. It's just that the Christian faith is inherently personal. Because it's not just a faith, it's not just a religion, it's centered on a person. And that person is not only a king, Who rules, and not only a prophet who reveals, that person is a priest who loves. We're nearing the end of the Advent season, as Bob called our attention to just a few minutes ago. We're nearing also the end of our series on the threefold office of Christ. And so this morning we're considering Jesus as priest. If you're inclined to think that Jesus the king cares only about his cosmic kingdom, or if you're inclined to think that Jesus the prophet cares only about truth, then my prayer for you this morning is that you would see how Jesus the priest cares for you. The whole book of Hebrews is basically a study of Jesus as the great high priest. It's a book about the fulfillment of God's promises How things in former days, like the temple, the law, the priesthood, were all shadows of these heavenly, eternal realities where Christ himself is now the substance, is the fulfillment of those things. And so someday, I'm sure as a church, we'll do a a whole series on the book of Hebrews and have an opportunity to dive more deeply into these things. Today, we'll look at just a few passages, primarily from Hebrews, about Jesus, our priest. And our first and our primary text comes in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 25. So I invite you to listen now with open ears to this book that we love. This is Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, "'Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure.'" Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus Christ, your light shines within us. So let not this morning in these moments, let not our doubts Or our darkness speak to us. Lord Jesus Christ, your light shines within us. Let our hearts in this moment and always always welcome your love. Amen. Amen. Three things uh, that we will talk about this morning, and we'll use the same basic outline that we used last week if you're here with us talking about Jesus as prophet. But the three things we'll talk about today, Jesus the priest. Or how Jesus fulfills this office. Then second, why it matters. The significance of Jesus' priestly work for our lives. And then third and finally, priests like Jesus. How we get to reflect this office. How we get to be priests like him in the world. So first, Jesus the priest. How does Jesus fulfill the office of priest? Three really big words that we'll, I'll share with you and then we'll unpack this morning. Incarnation propitiation, intercession. Incarnation. In Advent, we are remembering and celebrating the incarnation, that that God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh to dwell among us in the man, Jesus Christ. As verse 5 here of Hebrews chapter 10 puts it, Christ came into the world. Why did he do that? Because verse 4, just above it, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Offering the same sacrifices repeatedly, verse 11, can never fully take away sin. Earlier in this book, in Hebrews chapter 2, the author writes this, and it'll be on a slide here in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 2, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. For surely it is not angels he helps but he helps the offspring of Abraham therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people we'll get to that word propitiation in just a moment but before there could even be an effective sacrifice for sins Jesus had to be made like his brothers he had to partake of our same flesh and of our same blood. As the author of Hebrews puts it there, it's not angels he helps. He helps the offspring of Abraham. If you ever start to lose the wonder and the awe of Jesus' incarnation, because I do, and I'm assuming that at some point along the way, you do as well. If you ever start to lose the wonder and the awe of Jesus' incarnation, then think about this. What's the difference between you And Satan. What's the difference between you and Satan? Both are fallen. Both of us, Satan and you and me, have in blasphemous pride asserted ourselves to the place of God. In the Garden of Eden, it was both Satan and Adam and Eve that wanted to be like God. The difference is, is that a fallen sinful angel, Satan has no hope of redemption, but you do. But you do. Why? Because Jesus didn't become an angel, he became a man. And so Jesus will crush Satan, but he will partake of flesh and blood to rescue you. Jesus also fulfills the office of priest through propitiation, by becoming the once-for-all sacrifice for sins. A propitiation is a wrath-absorbing sacrifice. And so under the Old Covenant, the first order, God prescribed sacrificial animals. They took the place of the people. And when they were slaughtered, when their their blood was poured out, when they were laid upon the altar, God's wrath was placed upon them rather than upon his people. That's propitiation. In verse 14 here of Hebrews chapter 10, we read, By a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. Not fully, not forever, but the blood of Jesus can. The blood of Jesus can. Animal sacrifice, the whole sacrificial system under the Old Covenant, was God's forbearance. In his patience, in his mercy, he made a way to deal with his people's sin. He found a way to propitiate his own wrath, his own judgment. But the blood of Jesus... The blood of Jesus transforms all of that forbearance into fulfillment. Into fulfillment. Jesus, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, is both the victim and the priest. Because of the incarnation, through the incarnation, he is the single offering. It's his body. It's his blood. He becomes the victim so that simultaneously, as our priest, he can present us blameless before God. So there's incarnation, there's propitiation, and there's intercession. Intercession. A question for you for this morning. What is Jesus doing right now? What is Jesus doing right now? Rightfully so, we often, when we think about the work of Jesus, we look back into the past and we think about the finished work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension. What is Jesus doing today, at this very moment? He is seated, verse 12, at the right hand of the Father. And as the author of Hebrews makes clear in several other texts, he is interceding for his people. An intercessor is a a third party who makes a case for one party to another, who pleads their cause. And Jesus today, in this very moment, is pleading our cause before God. This, of course, has always been the role of God's priests to intercede for the people, to connect the people to God and to connect God to the people. They plead the, the people's cause before God. It's just that now, in Jesus, our cause is infinitely better. It's no longer based on animal sacrifices. It's no longer based on our own efforts to keep God's law. Now it's based on Jesus' saving work. It's based on his performance and not our own. So it's no longer human priests pleading with God and saying things like, please don't count our sins against us. Now it's Jesus saying, from the right hand of the Father in heaven, right next to him in heaven, saying to God, all of their sins have been counted against me. Put it on my account. It's already been paid. What's more, because of the resurrection, Jesus' intercession is unceasing unceasing. Hebrews chapter 7, we read this. This will be on a slide as well. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is the permanent priest, continually, unceasingly making intercession for us, reminding the Father that what, of what he has accomplished for all those who share in flesh and blood. Jesus brings his past finished work into the present. He makes it count now, today, for you and me. And therefore, Jesus, the great high priest, saves not in part not in just certain moments of your life or in certain kinds of sin patterns in your life, but he saves to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. So this is Jesus, the high priest. This is how Jesus fulfills that office. Second, 2nd let's talk about why this matters. Why this matters. And it's hard to not already bleed into that as we already have about why this matters so much. But Jesus' priestly work makes all the difference in the world. And of all the many things we might talk about this morning, I'm just going to mention a few, and they're these. You are clean, you are welcomed, you can endure, and you are loved. So you are clean. You are clean. As priest, Jesus takes away our sins. Our hearts, as it, as it says here in verse 22, our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our bodies are washed with pure water. And the big theological word for this, and it shows up in verses 10 and verses 14, in verse 14, is sanctification. Sanctification. When we hear sanctification, we most often think about the process by which we increasingly become like Jesus. How we are transformed from one degree of glory to another, as the Apostle Paul says. But sanctification isn't just a process. It's an identity you already have in Christ. And it is a future reality that in Christ you are guaranteed to experience. As verse 10 puts it, we have been, past tense, have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Or again in verse 14, which is one of the most remarkable verses in this entire book, in my opinion, by a single offering he has perfected, past tense, for all time, future reality, those who are being. In this moment, at present, in process, progressively sanctified. Has for all time those who are being sanctified. That's how powerful and effective Jesus' priestly work is. We who are so obviously still in process, are we not? Would any of us have the audacity to say, No, I'm good, I've arrived, I'm finished. We are so obviously still in process who stumble and struggle and fail and wrestle, are so cleansed by Christ that Scripture speaks of us, and even more importantly, God sees us as already sanctified, already cleansed and perfected. God will remember our sins no more. Verse 17. There is no longer any offering for sin, verse 18, because even if you wanted to contribute something to your salvation, you can't. There is nothing left for us to contribute to our salvation. That is how sure, that is how settled your identity is in Christ. Not only are you clean, you are welcomed. You are welcomed. Through Jesus, our priest, you and I have access to God. And not the kind of access where Jesus just, you know, leaves the back door unlocked and you can kind of poke your head in every now and then. No, you are welcomed to the throne of grace. You are invited to come and to receive mercy and to receive grace to help in your time of need, which is all the time, which is every moment of our lives. As a pastor, as much as I hope to be helpful, a helpful presence in your life, as much as I hope to help you attend to God, You don't need me. You don't need me. You don't need any human mediator because you have Jesus himself. The shadows of the temple and the holy place and the priesthood as the mediators between God and humanity, these things have given way to the substance of Jesus. As verse 20 puts it here in chapter 10, there is a new and living way opened for us. So you are clean, You are welcomed. Moreover, you can endure with full assurance. Many of us, even those of us who believe Jesus truly has opened this new and living way, approach God cautiously, timidly, as if somehow we're always on the chopping block. We're always one misstep away from being cut from the team and cast out from the family. But no, Jesus, our priest says, Draw near with full assurance. Verse 22. Approach God's throne of grace with confidence. That's from Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus, our priest, has guaranteed a better covenant. What that means for us, friends, is that you don't have to pray the salvation prayer over and over and over again. You don't have to respond to an altar call over and over again. You don't have to be baptized over and over again. When you are in Christ, there is no chopping block. When you are in Christ, there are no cuts because, as the author says here, he who promised is faithful. In verse 23 we read, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And because Jesus is our priest, you actually can You actually can. He always lives to make intercession for you. He never stops. And that means there isn't a single moment of your life where you are on your own, where Jesus is not holding you up before God the Father and saying, This one is mine. He belongs to me. She is my beloved child. And as if all this wasn't enough, if these weren't significant enough implications. Jesus's priestly work is also his crystal clear declaration that you are loved, that he loves you. As we read earlier, as Rachel read for us around the Advent wreath this morning, 1 John chapter 4, you can follow along on the slide, the apostle writes, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you hear that? Incarnation, propitiation, intercession, these same acts by which Jesus fulfills the office of priest are the acts that define love itself. They're the same thing. They're the same thing. This is love. This is how we know what love is. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. As we've heard, the fourth Advent candle represents love. And my prayer for you this Advent season is that you would know for certain that Jesus is not only the prophet who reveals God and proclaims truth. That he is not only the king who rules and reigns, but he is the priest who loves you who loves you, so much that in order to draw you to himself, he himself would be cast off. He himself would be forsaken. So much that he would partake of our flesh and then offer that flesh for ours. So much that he would partake of our blood and then offer his blood for our blood. Dane Ortland recently released a fantastic book called Gentle and Lowly. It's all about the heart of Jesus Christ for sinners and sufferers. And in this book, he writes, your salvation is not merely a matter of a saving formula, but of a saving person. In other words, at the most foundational level, you aren't saved by Jesus because the math adds up. You aren't saved by Jesus because the court case is closed. The courtroom picture is one of the pictures we have in Scripture, and it's an amazing and beautiful one. But at the most foundational level, you are saved because you are loved. You are invited into God's kingdom. You are adopted into God's family because he wants you there. He delights in you. In having you near to him, he knows that you and I are sinful to the uttermost, but he loves us to the uttermost, and so he will save us, as we read, to the uttermost. That is how full his heart is toward you because of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is our priest. This is why that's so significant for our lives. Third, how do we reflect Jesus's priestly role. How are we priests like Jesus? Though we are certainly not Jesus, we are called to be priests. And two passages in particular come to mind. You can follow along with these on the screen. 1 Peter 2:9 says this, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness" And into his marvelous light. And then Revelation chapter 1 and then chapter 5 as well says this To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. And then if we were to skip ahead to Revelation chapter 5, For you, Jesus, were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests. To our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Those who trust in his finished work are not only saved by Jesus, the priest, we are made priests ourselves. We become a royal priesthood. How do we live that out? How do we live that out? We actually live that out in a way that exactly mirrors Jesus' priestly work. It mirrors Jesus' priestly work. So Jesus became our priest through incarnation. And his incarnation is obviously unique. It's the only one of its kind. But as priests, you and I are incarnational. Incarnational. We dwell among. We enter in. We live and speak and serve as the very presence of Jesus, not isolated, not cloistered off from the rest of the world, but in it. Don't run from the broken places and the broken people in your neighborhoods or in your schools or in your workplaces as priests run into them, run toward them. I rejoice over and over again at the way our church rallies to support our local partners in ministries of mercy. Groups like New Hope Ministries and Bethesda Mission and Peace Promise and Capital Area Pregnancy Center. But as we step back and survey those partnerships, a lot of our support, a lot of our partnership with them is financial, which is beautiful, necessary. They're grateful for that level of partnership. But it doesn't necessarily require incarnation. It's possible to give your money. It's possible to give your time even and still to remain distant from people in taking on a stock of your life if if your pursuit of mission and service and generosity if it's characterized by distance from people then ask god for eyes to see the incarnational opportunities all around you because they exist i promise i promise In our neighborhood, my wife has done a phenomenal job leading our family into it. I joke with other people that I talk about it a lot, but the reason that we do it and are anywhere close to pursuing it faithfully is because she leads our family well in our own neighborhood in that. And with these lenses that she's led our family to have in our neighborhood, it didn't take long for the opportunities just to come pouring in. Cancer and addiction and overdose and adoption and births and deaths. It's often overwhelming. It's often overwhelming. And in many of those things, it's not like I have much ability to change people's circumstances. But we can dwell among. We can be with. We can live and speak and serve as Jesus' presence. Because God has given us everything we need to do so. How so? Because ultimately, he has given us himself. He has given us himself, and because Jesus is our priest, we can be incarnational priests in the places that he has sent us, the places that he has put us. Jesus also became our priest through propitiation. Again, in a way that is obviously unique and does not need to nor cannot be repeated. His sacrifice, as we've been reading here, is once for all. We have no ability to take away people's sins. But we can be living sacrifices. We can be living sacrifices. We can lead selfless, sacrificial lives. We can pour ourselves out for the good of others. We can labor at great cost to ourselves to bring others to Jesus. We can, as Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 puts it, consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. We can, as, the, as that verse continues, meet together, which is certainly more sacrificial to do during a pandemic. And as we're going to experience on the other side of COVID-19, because God willing, we're not that many more months away from being on the other side of this pandemic, we will experience on the other side what I believe is the American church's next great fork in the road. And meeting together in person with flesh and blood people will always be more sacrificial than creating virtual churches or online campuses and existing kind of virtually indefinitely. It will always be more sacrificial to leave your home, to put on something other than pajamas, to navigate the awkwardness of certain interactions, because we have awkward interactions when we're around other people sometimes. It will cost more to not change churches as quickly and mindlessly as you change your channel on your TV. But men and women, you are priests. You are not passive consumers. You are priests. So let us be priests. Priests are also people of good works. Jesus' propitiation is the good work. It is the greatest work. It's the once-for-all work. But in response reflecting him, pour yourself out in good works, so that, as Peter writes in his passage about us being a royal priesthood, so that others may see our good works and glorify God on the day of Jesus' second advent, on the day that he comes again. Finally, Jesus is our priest through intercession. Not just incarnation and propitiation, but intercession. Like we've said, he is the one mediator between God and God. And humanity. He is the permanent, continual, unceasing intercessor. But as priests, you and I can intercede too. We can pray for and pursue other people. Jesus' brother James calls us to precisely this. In James chapter five, we read. You can follow along with me. Verse sixteen. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. As it is working. And then just a couple verses later, he writes, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Don't overestimate yourself, but at the same time, don't underestimate Jesus. And he has made you priests. He has made you priests. The prayer of a righteous person, and we are nothing if not made righteous through the priestly work of Christ. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We can even, by God's grace and power at work within us and through us, bring back sinners from their wanderings. So pursue people. Pray for people. Intercede for them. In your prayers, bring them before God's throne of grace, plead for them, become the priests that Jesus has made you. All of this to say, all of this to say, we will most reflect Jesus' priestly role by our love. His priestly work defines love itself. It is how we know what love is. So love like loved people. Loved like, like the loved people you are. Love like only loved people can. Be so assured and so confident for the love of God that God has for you in Christ that you are truly free to love other people. And in seeing Jesus' full heart for you, may your heart be so filled that it can't help but spill over in love. For others. Jesus is not only the reigning King, Jesus is not only the revealing prophet, he is the incarnate, propitiating, interceding priest who loves you. And so today and always may you rest in his love and may you become the priests that he has made you. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Almighty and loving. God, because you love us truly in Christ. We bless you for the gift of your word. We bless you not only for the gift of your word, but for the word made flesh dwelling among us in the person of Jesus. We bless you for the gift of his incarnation and his propitiation and his intercession. The love that you have for us and the love that you have demonstrated for us through these great acts. We ask now for the grace to believe what we have heard because truly, Father, it is unbelievable. It is hard to believe this kind of love that you would have for us. So grant us the grace to believe it and grant us the grace to live in ways that honor you above all. Help us to be the loving priests that you have made us to be. We pray this all through Jesus, our priest. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.